are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Michelle, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay, let's start at the beginning. I'm keen to understand what it was that was kind of happening in your life or what you saw happening in the world that made you think that Runabout would be a brand that needed to be in the world. Honestly, it was a magical culmination of so many different life experiences that I had that just all sort of came at me uh, when I was postpartum with my first son. I really, you know, I came from a background in the sciences. I spent a lot of time um, studying engineering, working in finance, and then working in the pharma world. So I had a lot of just a passion for like product development and just really this idea of bringing something beautiful into the world. I've always been obsessed with that process, uh, the slow and painful process. And and so <laughs> after having my son, I realized, you know, that I, I almost didn't recognize myself. Like I was losing so much hair from postpartum hair loss. I felt that like I just, you know, lack of sleep. I just was wondering, like, where did that like that girl go? Mm. And I really wanted to connect a lot deeper with myself. And so I just kind of turned to, you know, these Ayurvedic beauty rituals. And I, I even thought of Ayurveda to begin with, because frankly, like I grew up with some practices here and there. I just didn't even know that it was called Ayurveda necessarily. And uh, after you have um, a child in India, there's all sorts of traditions that just come at you. So it's, you know, different things to eat, different, you know, don't leave for 30 days. And like, there's a million traditions. And so I was already kind of like exposed to those in my sort of postpartum phase. So that's kind of what honestly, like even got me to think of like, well, if these are really working for me really well um, to get my sort of body in order, my health back, I wonder what there is for beauty. And that's when I started to really think about, whoa, wait, there's a there's so much in our in our culture and heritage that I just like haven't really explored or looked into. And I started to in that moment really dig into it. Amazing. Now I kind of look at the brand and you've got, you know, a pretty big, robust product lined up. The packaging is so elevated and beautiful. What was it all like back in the beginning? What did the brand look like? Oh my gosh, so different. I mean, we, I mean, I don't come from a beauty background. So I think while the product was amazing, I felt like the packaging just didn't really reflect how good what was on the inside. And I think for me, I started this all self-funded. I didn't have a really big budget. I didn't have anyone that I could hire really. So I worked with an agency out of Australia. They're incredible. And I actually still work with, I still work with them. Um, not the agency, but one of the, uh, one of the girls that initially created my packaging. I love that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Like the, the actual brand is very global, like just in terms of where the design came out of Australia, the product uh, from India, the US, like, mm. there's like so much involved in it. But to kind of answer your question, like I, I kind of, I wanted to use these like sort of um, like darker glass vessels because they would preserve products really well and ingredients. And there were these super generic bottles, but I, I went with them because I could just print labels out and it was a really cheap way uh, or cost-effective way, I should say, to launch my brand without spending tons of money on custom packaging. 
which was great because it allowed me to like get started somewhere. But as I started to grow, I realized that that didn't really reflect what I was trying to communicate. And so I started to really like elevate that. And I just learned so much during the first like three years of the business. Uh, And then I finally had that experience to know, okay, this is what good packaging looks like. How did you get your first customers back in the beginning, like those really early days? How did you tell people about this new business? Well, I didn't have any social media following or anything. So really my first, I went to a trade show, which I know like now in these days, it's like after COVID, there's like not that many of them available, but four years ago there were. And so I went to this trade show called Indie Beauty Expo and my first clients were actually, it was more B2B. So it was like Neiman Marcus and different like wholesale accounts. And that is really the way that I first started to grow the business because direct to consumer, I just didn't have a connection to the consumer. So I started growing in that way, which I think was great because it established my credibility, you know, being a brand that launches at Neiman Marcus is always something that, you know, felt very prestigious. Um, And so that's kind of the angle that I took. What do you think it was like when those kind of buyers were or category managers were walking around Indie Beauty Expo? Like, what do you think stood out about what you were doing? I think a few things. Like, first is that I, no matter how big or small I was, I took a lot of pride. Like, I invested in a massive, like, floral display, and I had, like, fresh flowers, and I was really like telling the story Mm -hmm. of the kings and queens of India. And like when you would step into our booth, I just wanted people. And honestly, this is all like super low budget, but I still wanted people to feel very connected to this like um, experience because I was really sharing more than just a product, but a story and a vision. So I think that's really what stood out is like, I actually really, I mean, I remember spray painting in my garage, like this, like pink that I went back to the paint store like three times because it wasn't the right shade of pink for my booth because I just cared that much. And I like took it from LA all the way to New York. Looking back on it, I mean, it was very cheap and chic, but I just cared. And so I think part of it was, was I was, I was selling more than a product. I was really sharing a story. And I think the second thing is really the uniqueness of what we were bringing to life. Um, Ayurveda was not very well known at that time. I still think there's a big opportunity um, to share more education around it. But I just think between the aesthetics and the vibe and like the ingredients and the concept, it was something that people didn't see very often. And I think that's what caught their eye. Mm. I think you've been at this for what, five and a half years now? Almost, yeah, almost five actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and do you think that over those five years that there has been a, a specific moment or something that was really like propelled the brand forward or has it really been slow and steady wins the race kind of like, what's your, what's your approach been? Uh, I think it's like all of the above, slow and steady for sure, because, Mm. you know, not, there's no one moment that, I mean, I think for some brands perhaps, but there always comes a time where you've got to like dig back in. And I think for us, I still feel like we never got like one singular break. It's always been 
this constant slow build. We've like one of the biggest milestones was like one day uh, Haley Bieber like launched her YouTube channel and the first video she posted featured our cleanser. Wow. Which was crazy. Um, that was a fun like moment where we saw a ton of traffic and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. We had like another, a feature in, in style ones with Mindy Kaling talking about that was like another big moment. And we've had, we've had so many fun, like awesome bursts of energy, even when we're launching into Sephora or recently in Harrods, like those have been really fun, awesome pops, but you, those, those are moments in time, but really the core of the brand gets built in those moments in between, I feel. Um, and I think that's been really the magic of it all. I'm so curious about what happens when someone like Hailey Bieber talks about your brand. Is it a massive spike in sales or is it, is it more just traffic and then it doesn't convert as well? Like what happens when a celebrity like that is talking about you? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's everything. And I think it depends, you know, like sometimes it depends on the celebrity. It depends <laughs> on, depends on the product. It depends on like, I think for example, like so we're, we're, we still like, we need more brand awareness. Like that's like one of our goals is to like get our name out there more. But imagine like two years ago, we even had less brand awareness. So I think we, we did see like a great spike in traffic. We saw like, you know, hundreds of cleansers being sold. But I think if, if that had happened today, it would be even bigger because this that would be like the fifth time someone has heard about our brand. And now they're like, oh my God, I've been hearing about it everywhere. Yeah. And now Haley Bieber's right. So it would have been a bigger impact. Um, I mean, for us, like if you just think about, you know, what it was, of course, like these are all great moments, but I think it's totally dependent on where the customer is with your brand as to what the impact is going to be. Uh, and then also like who the celebrity is and what the actual mention is in what forum, because it's all, it just can go in so many different directions. Um, but it's fun. It's just fun to like wake up to random oh, stuff. Happening and be like, oh my God, this is so cool. But I never kind of like live my life assuming that that's what I'm waiting for. That's mm. all just ice on the cake. The real like the real magic aren't just the customers, the people that buy your product, support it, and the the sweet messages um, that people share. It's like the lifeblood of the brand. Let's talk about how you're, I guess, growing the business in a really day-to-day -day kind of way. What marketing activities are really driving the business forward right now? Um, well, I think across all fronts, like we're in a very pivotal pivotal time period right now where we just launched Sephora and Harrods. I think a year ago, oh, thank you. Um, a year ago, honestly, we couldn't support our retailers very much because we were growing so much on DTC side and with COVID and all just like trying to ramp up production, mm. um, it was really challenging. And so we just didn't have enough stock to actually send to our retailers. So before we launched Sephora, we really like upped production across everything. So now we're able to support retailers. So that's been great. Um, growing in that channel, we almost became like 90% DTC at the end of last year. Wow. And now we're like teetering back. Um, you know, who knows where we'll end up. And I'm sure it's like a work in progress, but now we're truly becoming more of an omni-channel brand. Um, our focus right now is... 100% on 
brand awareness. Like we know our products work. We, they've been around for years at this point. We've won multiple beauty awards, but really still people don't know about us and we want to get the word out. And I think we're doing that through not only investing in like Ranavat team members. So we just brought on um, a director of partnerships, which I'm super excited. We have two uh, team members in just marketing in general, like product marketing, but also like DTC. So we're investing in people as well, which I think is like super key to to growth is you have to have the infrastructure in order to do it. Were your kind of early hires more junior support staff or did you bring in, you know, like head of category or, you know, C-suite kind of staff from the, from the early days? How did you think about growing the team? We thought about being super heavy on experience, so not thinking too much on title, for example. Um, and I didn't really hire anyone until November of this past year. Oh, wow. I did a lot with contractors, like a ton. And now, you know, after last year, we just got to a point where I could afford to hire the people that I wanted to hire. Um, so I kind of waited until I had the right people. And so the team members we have now, they all come from incredible beauty brands and they've seen massive growth over the last five years. I mean, there's been such a massive boom in beauty industry and a lot of these team members come from places that have been like at the forefront of that um, movement. And so it's really nice to have them because, you know, they may just have four or five years of work experience, but they've seen more than more than many of us. And so I, it, that's kind of the lens through which I was looking to build a team. And, you know, we're still really small. We probably have about like five full-time team members. And then on top of it, we have like a really robust list of contractors and things like that. But everyone has to be like just a good person, like really just really simply that. And I think what you lack in, like, I, I would rather not hire like someone that's super amazing, but like not is going to like kill the magic of the team. I'd rather have someone that can take feedback and is a team player that can mesh well because the magic that we have together, it's like one plus one equals more than two. Are you all working remotely at the moment or are you kind of having FaceTime with the team? Um, a little bit of both. We have um, a remote portion of our team as I mentioned, Australia. So we have different countries involved, but we also have a pretty robust team here in LA as well. We were talking a little bit before you're saying about how, you know, the beauty industry has changed so much in the last four to five years. And I think I've been watching this as well and seeing so many new brands like popping up on TikTok. And it seems like the barrier to to entry to create a beauty brand now is so low. Literally anyone can create it. And I don't know how I feel about like this shift in the industry and, and whether like, are we going to see some kind of correction where a lot of those brands are going to kind of disappear over the next couple of years? And do you think like some bigger players will kind of take the torch or do you think that we're just going to have a more, I don't know, a, a more fragmented beauty industry moving forward? So I think it is going to be a more fragmented beauty industry moving forward, but I do think it's all competition is going to force people to to raise the bar, which I think mm. is going to be 
great for the consumer. I think from our perspective, look, like it's never been easier to create a beauty brand. That's for sure. It's never been harder to stay relevant. Totally. And so I, I, like there's people with, you know, influencers starting brands, celebrities starting brands, like, you know, people have massive visibility and marketing network, but somehow that doesn't always seem to be a winning combination. Um, there are plenty of those brands that haven't succeeded and there are plenty of brands that don't have it that haven't succeeded and vice versa. I think all that you can control is to be and use this competition to be the best that you can be and really push yourself. So for me, I'm not like a native social media person, but I've definitely challenged myself to present myself on social media and really like share where this brand is coming from, especially because we're luxury. We're in a space where there's a ton of education opportunity. People want to know more and showing your face and really sharing in a personable manner what your brand is about builds connection and community. And so that's like what my challenge was. And I did it. And it's honestly been super rewarding to, to connect with the customer in that way. And I, and, and so I think, it, you know, we, we take the competition and we really try to, you know, push uh, our own limits. And the last thing I'll say about it is like, you know, one thing that we're also doing is we are turning to more clinical testing on all of our products as well, because I think that's a big differentiator and also like a big thing that customers are looking at in terms of uh, how they're selecting products. So we we just did, we invested in clinicals on our top three SKUs, which is super exciting. We're going to be rolling out all those results soon. When you're kind of saying, you know, you're showing up as the face of the brand more on social media, are you talking Instagram or are you, are you on TikTok? Like what, how are you thinking about We're on both. I mean, TikTok is like, like you personally. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, and we're and now, uh, as I said, I heard we hired a partnerships person. So I, you know, it's not going to mm-hmm. be just me anymore. And it's going to be the voice of our entire community, which I'm super pumped about. But yeah, I mean, I, I think TikTok is like, I view Instagram as, you know, it's our tried and true community that is built and you know, you post something and you're going to get great content and connection. TikTok is like an investment for the future and, you know, we're starting to grow on TikTok and I mean, I'm just, I need to spend more time and continue to invest in um, our TikTok, TikTok channel. I'm so interested in this whole idea of founders being the face of their brands and especially in short form social video, particularly and on TikTok. And there seems to be a mix of founders who are just really um, they re- they really don't want to show up as the face. They they want someone else to do it, but it's kind of like how do you tell get someone else to tell your brand story better than you can? It's almost impossible. And then you know the other side of founders who are really you know social natives and they're very comfortable in, in, talking to the camera and showing up like that. When you're looking at like TikTok in the future, are you? looking at bringing on like do you have creators who are creating the content for you is it one or two people internally in the team how do you think about that content creation i think we want to do both right we want to have content creators and brand loyalists share their love for the product uh on tiktok and on instagram on all socials Mm -hmm. and then we always want to share the soul behind our brand so whether it's education you know founder story or even just like me using the products or why did I create 
this product. Let's talk about that. You know, it's really sharing something deeper. You know, we'll, we'll use that forum to share that information. Yeah. Amazing. The last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the show is just to share a resource. And that could be another podcast, a book. It could be a community that you're part of something that's kind of helped you as you've been growing your business and kind of made you a better leader, I guess, as well. I I have two different resources that I would suggest. I would say the first one is a little more homegrown. So I have a group of three other women. So it's four of us and we have a little name for our crew. It doesn't make any sense, but it's called like our triple C crew. Um, And this crew is all about connecting every three weeks. And we talk about different goals that we have, different challenges. We're all in like really different, in many ways, like we're in a similar stage of life and that we have, we all have kids around the same age. And we we were just organically friends prior to any businesses being launched, but we all happen to kind of be at these like pivotal points in our careers where we're kind of branching out to start something new. And this like community has been amazing. I mean, we just have like pushed each other. We do like vision boards. We coach people through like, oh my God, this person didn't email me back. Like, what should I do? Even like basic stuff like that. It's just great to have a group of people that just force you in many ways to be accountable. And I highly recommend- That's a great idea. I feel like- and. I think even better if they're not in your industry. Mm. I think a lot of people get stuck on like, oh my God, I'm going to do a group of, you know, beauty brand founders, which is great. I have a lot of beauty brand friends, but I like outsiders challenging me uh, with no pretenses of like what happens in the beauty industry to be like, oh, you know, I, I just, I think that fresh perspective helps. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is like when you're scaling and, you know, growing quickly, I think there's a whole fundamental shift that happens between being the doer and being the, I almost call like a conductor. Like, I think a lot of this is like an orchestra, right? Like the conductor knows a lot about music and they're like telling people when to do or whatever, but you never see the conductor play an instrument. Mm-hmm. Like the guy cannot, or girl cannot play while <laughs> they're leading. And I think that's like something that a lot of people, including myself miss because I'm for four years, I was in the orchestra and how all of a sudden am I like now it's like a completely different skill. Like you don't, you know, wake up one day playing an instrument, deciding that you want to be a conductor and vice versa totally different trainings. And I actually think the same thing is very true for being a CEO, leading an organization. There's a different skill set than being a doer uh, and actually doing the tasks. So I think it's really tough to make that transition. One book that I'm starting to read is called The Effective Executive. I don't know who the name of the author is. It's downstairs, but effective executive. And I think that's going to hopefully help me transition into being more of the conductor role um, and not be in the orchestra necessarily. Amazing. What a great note to end on. Thank you so much for all of your recommendations and your story. It was great to have you on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.